Welcome to the GRDC Better Frost Decisions podcast for June 2022, brought to you by the MSF team. I'm Tanya Morgan, and over the last couple of weeks, we've been catching up with a range of different people to talk about what's happening with frost this year in terms of some of the trials that are going in, what's happening with the climate, and we've even managed to catch up with some of the farmers, having a chat to them about what they're thinking about at this time of year when it comes to frost. So sit back and relax, and we hope you enjoy the first of our four-part series for 2022. So we're joined now by Principal Scientist with Climate Applications at SARDI, Peter Heyman. Welcome, Peter. Great to have you on the show today. So we would like to pick your brain. What are the climate indicators looking like for the year ahead? We've um, had some rain in some parts. We've had some very dry periods in other parts. Some people have been sowing into the best conditions they've ever had. Some people are still dry sowing. So what's going on? Yeah, so it is a tricky situation. So unlike the eastern states, South Australia, on the whole, has had a pretty dry autumn. And some people have had okay rain at times, and some people have stored moisture from some summer rain and so on. But here we are at the end of May, and there's some hope and talk about a system coming through in the next week, which a lot of people are, are watching. For people who are following what's going on in terms of the seasonal prediction, there's a lot of talk about the climate drivers of a Nina finishing up, but the chance of a, a negative Indian Ocean dipole, which is associated with warm waters off the northwest of, of Australia. And those in the past, that negative Indian Ocean dipole has led to wetter late winters and spring. And, and so the models do seem to be leaning towards that. So Dale Gray, who's doing that seasonal break for South Australia, nine of the international models that he looks at, they're all showing wetter conditions for spring. So that's nine of the nine. And the Bureau of Meteorology have a very strong outlook uh, of wetter, wetter conditions. So that's South Australia. If we look over the border to Victoria and New South Wales, we've had some parts there that have had the best start they've had for a long while, particularly New South Wales. Some of our Mallee farmers have had nearly their whole annual rainfall prior to seeding. So there is quite a difference just even in the southern region. So that line in terms of what's happened over autumn, yes, that's right. And, so, and there's plenty of people in New South Wales and northern New South Wales and central New South Wales that have had just way too much rain, hasn't, haven't they? And so there's all the problems with the floods on the coast and so on, and that's going to come inland. Plus, there's the real problems of just getting onto paddocks, and, and so that will delay things. So it's an interesting case. When you look at the Bureau of Meteorology maps, there's quite a strong sense of just this, the sort of the west-facing fringe from South Australia right down into Victoria and into the western part of Tasmania have been dry for autumn and the rest have been wet. And, and as you go further, it's been quite wet. In terms of the outlook, the, the, the outlook is, is quite a positive outlook. What's important to remember is that outlook is all based on this negative Indian Ocean dipole developing and the models are not particularly good at getting that right in May. They improve over June. So it's a matter of, of watching what the models are doing and the outlook gets more confident as we move into winter for, for spring because these climate drivers, which give us those warmer waters off the top of Australia, lock in more and we get more confidence about them as we come to that time. It's possible that we might get 
a wetter than average spring, what does that mean for frost? Yes, yeah, a really good question. I guess we have a, a mental model that says wetter conditions, more cloud cover, and what we know about frosts in inland Australia and these damaging spring frosts, that they are radiation frosts. Clear nights, still conditions, very cold, dry air. So we know that's what drives the frost. And when we talk about a La Nina or a negative Indian Ocean dipole, we are generally talking about fewer frosts. However, that's mental model, and, that, and that's correct, that if you're playing the game of how many frosts are there, you, you will win by saying if it's a negative Indian Ocean dipole, that there's likely to be fewer frosts than the opposite phase. However, the problem we have for grain cropping is it's these, it's these spring frosts that do the damage, and these are rare events. And the problem with our mental models, mine included, is that we don't handle rare events well so it's really what all we need is just one or two of these events where the synoptic system sets up and bang they go one thing i really learned from our conversations with mick faulkner in 2016 which was a, a very wet season and a lower frost season but there were some terrible frosts in that year frosts in good seasons cost a lot don't they because you're losing really good crops and so this notion that frost only belongs with droughts, unfortunately, that's not the case. So to an extent, a frost adds insult to drought. But in these good seasons, especially these late spring frosts, best understood as just a random event. And these rare occurrences are hard to predict. So we just have to take a, a sort of risk management approach. And it's really, I think, quite dangerous say oh well we won't get these because of a negative inundation dipole yeah it really only takes one bad frost at the right time to cause a lot of damage thanks for that summary peter that i know that it's not very conclusive at this point in time but we hope to check in with you a bit later in the year and see what the models are telling us and whether we're getting a bit more clarity we're also looking forward to perhaps measuring how different regions are tracking in terms of frost hopefully you'll be able to help us out with that too yeah, and I look forward to it. I mean, so every season is different and we learn from each season. And certainly, I guess what we're saying is that the risk of frost remains there. And in terms of even getting warmer global temperatures, even though we would expect and the Bureau's outlook is for warmer night temperatures, as you say, it only takes one or two of these weather events that can really hurt us. Know your enemy and know that these are low frequency, high consequence events. And these are hard to manage and hard to predict. And we need to have these sort of risk management approaches for them. Great to know. So we'll check in with you later in the season. Thanks very much for joining us today. Thank you. I'm joined now by Michael Hind, who's an agricultural consultant with Bates Agricultural Consulting based on the Air Peninsula. And he's going to tell us about some of the demonstration work happening with Air EP. Based around the first demonstration trial that took place at Toology last year. Welcome, Michael. Tell us about that trial last year and what were the main findings? Oh, thanks, Tanya. Yeah, the, the trial last year was a small plot trial that we got funded later in the season. 
and we're able to sell it about the 25th of May. There'd been um, some significant frost effects in that area over the last five or six years and farmers had, um, had lost significant income. And there was a lot of interest around what we could do to mitigate the frost risk. We put this site in last year, looking at different wheat and, and barley varieties and also mixtures of wheat to see if, if we could get any differences there. And also to, get, to record the temperatures. So Peter Heyman had a number of temperature loggers in and we recorded all the temperatures here. So yeah, it, at the end of the year, we certainly Denison wheat, which was a longer season wheat that we sowed last year, was better than uh, Vixen and Scepter, Mace, the other varieties that we had in the trial. And also barley came out in front, but uh, it generated more questions than we got answers for. So yeah, I could imagine. And it did get pretty cold there throughout the year. So at one stage, it got down to minus six, you were saying, is that normal for that neck of the woods? Five years ago or six years ago, you probably wouldn't have said that it was. But in the last five or six years, getting temperatures of that order has been normal and particularly later in the season. So from mid to late September and then into early October. So it's the frost is probably occurring a little bit later than what we'd normally expect them to cause severe damage. Yeah, so what are growers doing over there to help mitigate the risk of frost or are there just not enough solutions at the moment? That's one of the reasons for the continuing trial work is to try and find some answers around what we can do to, to try and spread the risk across frost. So this year and next year we'll look at different times of sowing, different sowing varieties into different areas of risk, so in, in high-risk zones and in medium-risk zones, and we'll see what results come out of that. And we'll look at, again, at mixtures, we'll look at soil amelioration, so what effect soil amelioration has on temperatures and nutrition. We'll look at crop manipulation, whether cutting crops and resetting or the use of gibberellic acid has any effect. We'll look at, at legumes as well because legumes are a big component in, in croppings up here. So we'll look at different legumes, so beans and lentils and mixtures of those to see what effect the frost has on those crops. Yeah, that sounds really great. Any information you can get to growers on local adaptation of some of these strategies is going to be really helpful. So what's the season like looking so far for you over there? Has it been a good early start? We've had plenty of rain leading up to the start of the season and, and rain at the start and then virtually no rain until last night. So I think most places had somewhere between 10 and 15 mils last night and they got more rain forecast for next week. So seeding's pretty well finished or, or mostly finished and most crops are emerging or waiting for that rain to emerge. So, But we have got a good profile of moisture, so you'd have to say the season outlook is pretty good at the moment. Yeah, that's really good to hear. And we're pretty interested in what's happening with that trial. So we look forward to catching up with you hopefully later in the year. Thanks very much, Michael, for joining us today. No worries. Thanks, Tony. And the trial this year on the Air Peninsula has been funded by the GRDC through National Grower Network. And we look forward to following the progress throughout the year. We're now going to head out to the paddock, catch up with Jamie Wilson, who's been travelling across the Mallee and catching up with a few farmers just as they're getting into seeding. We're really keen to hear from them what they're thinking about this time of year in terms of frost. Over to you, Jamie. It's Jamie Wilson here from MSF. I'm standing here with Andrew Thomas at Moorlands, and uh, today we're going to be talking about frost. Andrew, can you tell me, is frost much of an issue on your farm, and if so, how frequently? Frost has always been an issue in some of our country. Severity-wise, I'd say we'll get a major event up to one in three years, sometimes more often. And do you think that the severity of frost has increased over recent years? No, I don't think it's any more severe than it used to be. Personally, I just think that we're more aware of 
what it does to our crops now. And I guess we, we, we want to know more so we can manage them areas differently. So you're more focused on understanding that there has been a frost and rather than just being laid back and like, no, there was a bit of a frost, but it should be okay. Yeah, pretty much. And what medication do you do where these areas where you know that there's most likely a high chance are going to be a frost? Like, how do you manage those areas? I guess generally susceptible crops probably tend to grow more oat and hay and probably grow a higher level of barley as well because we, we can cut barley for hay as well. Yep. So hay is a good backup for those areas. Hay is definitely a good option for us. Hay is a big part of how you help manage it. Is there anything else that you found has worked for you on, on your farm? It's a bit of a two-edged sword. Keeping stubble levels lowish in them areas can help. But at the same time, we don't want to leave the areas exposed. So generally all we'll do is roll them paddocks prior to sowing. Just as a predictive, just in case there is? Yeah, well, just in case. And then I guess on the management side of it, we have two or three temperature sensors around the farm in, in the higher risk areas as well. So we know what's happening. So that'll alert you to the severity and the length of frost to know how much damage there potentially could be? Yeah, pretty much, yep. So there's all just get a text in each morning what level temperature's got to or how low they got to and you can log on to the website and see how long they were at that temperature for. And how long have you had those temperature sensors out there? It'd be probably six or seven years. And for 2022, have you changed any plans on how you're planning on managing the frost? Not really, no. I'll probably just stick to it. I guess I'd general management around the frost and on the frosty country is, is a level of oat and hay and a level of barley there. And we can always harvest the barley if we don't get frost and if we do, we'll cut it for hay. If the market's correct at the moment, hay frosts are, are good historically, but they're not, you know, not following the grain price. Yeah, the gross margin per hectare. Yeah, my gross margin stacks up. Yep. We'll cut hay. And as part of your frost management, are you aware of like some of the different mapping that they've been working on and zoning and changing crop species and plant phenology and frost identification, all of those things as part of your education with it? I'm aware of a lot of them, what's happening. As far as zones go, for certain years in our farming systems, we know we've had a lot of frosts and take data from your maps in, in them areas. And I guess as far as mapping out our own farm, there's always little things I'd like to try here and there just to try and see if we can change or reduce the risk which, which we, of, of the frost we get. And have you found nutrition has any influence on frost? I don't know if there's nutrition itself as such. There probably is certain little things, potentially like potassium or copper or moly, that potentially would cause issues. But the frost that we've experienced the most damage with, I don't think so. It tends to be when it gets down at minus three for more than an hour when you get the most damage. And I think they're the ones that are total wipeouts where you start thinking, do we cut her or not? Whereas the ones that are the minus ones and twos, and this is on our, on our weather station story, which might be a little bit different to others at times, but the minus ones and twos, yes, you might see damage, but not to the level that you start thinking we need to cut hay in yeah. large areas. You might be a little hollow here and there that if the hay mark is right, you'd go and cut out. If it's not, you just ignore them. Thank you for that, Andrew. So I'm here with Travis Flight from Taree Pastoral and uh, we're just going to talk about frost. So I was just wondering, Travis, can you give us a bit of a rundown? Is frost much of a problem for you on your farm here? Uh, it is a bit of a problem. I wouldn't call it my top three, but we are something that we are aware of and we try to be super careful of with our sewing window, especially that we don't get hit at the back end of the season when everything's flowering. And so do, do you get hit? 
every year or is it just occasionally or what's the sort of frequency that you're finding here? I wouldn't say it's every year. We definitely, we'll, we'll get at least one to three frosts every year. Whether they're bad enough to knock anything out is the question. A couple of years ago, we did see a really bad one set in at, I think it was 11 o'clock or something like that at night and it was like negative five or something here that knocked the lupins or a crop around, but we didn't see anything in the cereal. So it's not something that we have to really take into consideration, but as long as we sow at the right time, we are in the right window. And do you find that you've identified where these problem patches are? Are they consistent or are they just random? They're definitely consistent. The low-lying areas in between some gullies definitely will get it worse. There's still some high, you wouldn't believe it, but there's still some high ground that has a gully in it that still will get it as well. So we do have to watch the mid-slopes occasionally and a few other things that might just jag it that we don't expect to get it. And do you find that it's a certain time, a certain month or a certain two-week window year in year out where you get it or is it just random or how wide is that window where the frost damage occurs yeah i'd definitely say it's quite a large window it definitely comes from probably the back end of august right through to mid-october especially now that we sow chickpeas and they can flower right up till mid-november late november any frost in october can really knock them around so we try it really it's such a moving target it's hard to pick which way it's going to be and do chickpeas do that how do they handle the frost they're not bad to the, the most point, but they can get checked pretty hard too. With with them enjoying the warmer conditions that we do get here towards summer and harvest time, they can flower again if they get moisture and then we can pick up what we may have lost from the frost, but it's still not an ideal situation if they do get frosted because they get checked. Do you have mitigation plans in place for frost or that's not your highest priority, your more moisture or other factors here on the farm? Probably not our highest priority, but again, I talk about the sowing window. As long as we get the crop in at the right time, we've got the ground, it should be up and growing in the warm conditions by the time the frosts are prevalent. Therefore, we shouldn't be able to get as hit as hard, but realistically for us here, it's moisture and then actually getting the crop to grow in the first place is our biggest two issues that we have. And if you do get frosted, uh, how do you manage that? We definitely do an assessment on what's actually how much damage we've got and then we make a decision from there. So say a cereal crop gets smacked pretty hard, we probably would cut that for hay and then maybe sell it or keep it in stock and if we ever get stock again we'll use it or just leave it and maybe disc it back in or something like that to try and get our uh, microbial stuff out of it or something at the other end. And what are your thoughts this year like with the grain price? Like if you did get a frost would you try and take it to grain or would you do it for hay? Yeah that's a great question. As we are currently in in May it's hard to know what the grain price will be but if it does stay high I guess we will try to get what we can get out of it if the grain is the most valuable thing at the time we'll try and get the grain if the hay is more valuable we'll try and go for the hay so we sort of analyze it at the time and make the best decision that we can get the best bang for bucky out of it so you're going for gross margin obviously more than anything definitely gross margin is the biggest winner for us and that's pretty much the theory we take in all our grains is we grow the highest rewarding crop that we can grow um, to make sure we get the best money for our efforts and so do you have any weather stations or data loggers or anything like that here for frost no we just use the local mesonet which is actually just up the road here which is the best thing we can use we do obviously get your frost warnings from your elders and other apps and stuff like that but mostly just the mesonet we keep a close eye on we do use frost strips every now and then if we need to if we if we're really monitoring your crop closely we'll go and put some frost strips out but for the most part we just watch the weather station and see what it tells us we normally can see it from the whiteness on my lawn or something like that so you, you find that the mesonet gives you enough details to be able to keep an eye on things yep absolutely i swear by it now 
it's the best thing that's actually probably happened for us here is we probably always used to spray probably in that, that hour window from you know, sun up till sundown and then now that's come out you can roll over in bed at six o'clock in the morning check the vertical temp and if that's in a if that's in a red zone you don't even bother getting out of bed you just wait another hour and you get up and go then definitely help us make some decisions that's for sure so operationally overall that's it's been a great thing absolutely yeah talking to other farmers around the area they're the exact same we all used to get up at the crack of dawn and fill the sprayer up but now operationally we can make better decisions and to best optimize our spraying conditions but also not be uh, pushing the envelope on our group eyes and stuff like that that we don't want to be doing now that we've got the new laws and regulations so in an ideal world what would you like in regards to frost for your farming program if frost wasn't an issue is there anything you would change in an ideal world i'd love enough moisture in august september october that way it wouldn't frost in the first place and we'd be fine due to the dry conditions is why we get the frost here mostly but yeah look if there was no frost we would probably our sewing window would be a bit more relaxed most likely we'd be able to get things in a bit nice and steady still probably get them in quick enough to avoid the cold soil but at the same time we wouldn't have that worry of getting smacked at the end in the frost window from that august october window that we talked about so essentially you'd sow earlier so you can get as much biomass before winter essentially yeah especially those green manure pastures and stuff like that get them in early get them done before the peak winter it definitely would open things up if frost wasn't an issue she's just the the f word that we all like to avoid if we can and it's just one of those things you wear when you have to and if you can get something out of it you can but we all just do what we can to manage it as best we can thank you for your time there travis and it's been great and yeah hopefully uh, some of the listeners will get some insight out of that no worries at all thank you jamie Hi, I'm here with Jock McNeil and we're just going to be talking about frost. So uh, Jock, can you give me a bit of a background? Is frost much of a problem here on your farm? So in recent years it certainly has been. So basically since 2014 we've been seeing significant frost issues whereas previous to that we never really considered it to be a huge issue but um, certainly having a huge impact now. So. So you think it's got worse? I'm not sure whether the actual frosts themselves have got worse. I guess it's just an adapting farming system and learning the do's and don'ts of how we're changing our system as to whether that's having an impact on the frost. So whether that's more stubble retention and bigger stubble loads, probably less water in the system with frequent cropping and things like that. You've obviously seen this frost damage happening and you've identified parts of the farm now where or I'm almost guaranteed to get frost in that area. And what do you do to manage that? Yeah, we certainly have what you call your frost-prone areas, but I guess as a business now, we essentially, the whole farming system and plan is based around frost because it still doesn't hold us back from, say, early sowing and stuff like that, but we've always got frost in the back of our mind that whatever we do, plan A, there's always going to be a plan B. So whether that's through hay or whatnot, but yeah, so we've got low-lying areas that we've tried to ameliorate so whether that's changing the topsoil colour with spading and bringing more clay and orange sands to the top to try and keep them warmer, deep ripping to try and tap into some unused water um, rather than the crop being stressed and then getting hit by frost. So yeah, we're trying our best from a physical side of things to manage it, but then obviously there's also a lot of other factors. Just by managing the soil and trying to get as much growth as you can there to minimise any potential frost damage? Yep, and as I said, the hardest thing with all farming is no two years are the same, so every frost can be different. So basically, we go for max strategies, go for maximum grain potential, and then if we have, say, a 
significant stem frost event or even a flowering frost event, then obviously that triggers plan B or we make an assessment whether it's going to be viable for grain versus hay. So what's your plans for um, 2022 cropping season? I think even just pre-planning, we've still sown quite early like we've got some winter wheats in the program that are ornless wheat i guess they hold themselves back and then even being ornless it stops the moisture and everything holding in those heads for a flowering frost so we've got five varieties of wheat and three varieties of barley basically to spread our risk on that but we're still trying to optimize our timing so we'd, we'd probably started on anzac day or maybe a bit before with the bennett but yeah we're trying to finish by that 20th of may so so by having the range of varieties is to get a range of different maturities and phenologies and plant behaviours. And some varieties handle different soil types better. So if we can get, say, a variety that grows better on sand, it's not going to be as stressed in the situation, whereas if we do get frosted, whereas if we grow something that's potentially higher yielding but doesn't like sand, well, it's a sitting duck. Yeah. And so when it comes to frost, what's your thought on legumes? It certainly has been, as I said, no two years are the same. So... I guess uh, we've been growing break crops probably since 2013, starting with canola and probably in a, in a pretty big way. And we had some successes and we had some, I guess, some failures. But as I said, they were, they were some learnings. And then for the, the pulses, I, I still see the potential there, but I just think our environment, we need more things to go our way than not to be able to basically pull them off to be sustainable long-term. Like, I still see them as a fit for the rotation, but from a money or a profitability spinning thing, they're probably a two out of ten. To have the confidence you need to um, have had good summer rainfall? So summer rainfall, I guess paddock's probably got to be at least planned to be set up to do that, so broadleaf control's got to be good, so then hopefully the cost of that broadleaf control is cheaper. So yeah, summer rains, double cover, weed control, price is obviously a huge trigger, so obviously lentils at thousand dollars a ton versus 500 will hit half the risk so, so uh, on your farm as part of your planning and, and mitigation do you do any frost mapping or zoning or do you have tiny tags or weather stations i've got the mesonet weather station on our property i guess temperature readouts on that i have done tiny tags in the past but essentially if i know what the temperature's been at 1.2 and say it's been below zero well we know everything lower than that's more than likely lower again. I mean, in an ideal world for frost, how would you have things? Or if frost wasn't an issue up here, what would you change in your farming practices? I think if we, if frost wasn't an issue, I honestly think the upside gains are probably bigger than anything else farming has possibly done before. Because if we didn't have frost, we could sow basically earlier than what we already do, get that grain field happening in cooler period and it'll also give us the confidence to throw nitrogen and have bigger input so basically i guess up the ante on pushing yield whereas at the moment you're always tiptoeing around it because it's Can't too have... risky or whatever whereas if we sort of had tunnel frost wasn't a problem well yeah but then you could grow greater biomass and oh. have that confidence behind it yeah so you're going to be driving your yield through that yeah and as i said the nitrogen one's the one that's still a bit of a balance like obviously you can have through the Rotation of the break crops, that natural end versus throwing in out of the bag, we've found here that, yeah, basically if you juice a crop with too much in out of a bag, they're the first ones to fall over. Yeah. And that's not in terms of falling over from running out of moisture. That's like, for some reason, they just blow up. When yeah. the frost hits them, they just, the stems just basically just, go. Is there any particular research that you would like to see happen into frost 
for your area? I know it's a long shot, but my still big belief is if, if we can focus on genetics, implant genetics, it, for the, I guess, the Australian <laughs> grain growing industry as a whole, I know it's a pipe dream, but if we could do that, what the industry could achieve and the, the extra things it would do to rural communities and stuff by having this increase in production and... Just, just even a medium frost tolerance yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, as I said, even if you get to like zero or, you know, like, I think once you get below zeros, we're, we're pushing it pretty hard. But as I said, if you could just miss that one frost, because you can have everything set up, ready to go. And we've had barley, milky dough, thinking we're home. And it can be one at zero and it's all pinched off and gone. Well, thank you very much for your time and um, hope the season goes well for you. that wraps up the first better frost decisions podcast for 2022 thanks to all our special guests and to you for joining us we'd also like to thank the grdc frost extension project that will be bringing you more of this information throughout the season make sure you like and subscribe and stay tuned for the next episode